You're listening to the St John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Senior Minister Tim Johnson. Hello, my name is Harika, and today's reading is Hannah's Prayer from 1 Samuel 2, verses 1 to 10. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemy, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly, or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighted. The bows of our warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full hired themselves out for food, but those who were hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. On them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in a place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of the anointed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today marks the start of Advent, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. Advent's traditionally been a time of reflection, quiet and preparation before the feasting and celebration of Christmas. Reflection, quiet and preparation? That doesn't match up much with our experience, does it? Because these coming weeks will likely be filled with intense busyness as we try and cram in end-of-year catch-ups, concerts and Christmas get-togethers. Christmas has broken its original bounds and it gets pushed forward earlier and earlier each year, which often leaves no space for Advent with its uh, room for meditation and reflection. So as we gather together in these coming Sundays, we hope that church at least will be a space for meditation and reflection as we prepare for the wonderful celebration of the birth of Jesus. Christmas is one of the few times that we as Australians sing together, whether it's the carols in the Maya Music Bowl or our own Diamond Creek community carols, we gather to sing together as part of our celebrations. And so our current sermon series leans into this space as we consider together four songs of salvation tracing through the biblical story from the Old Testament up to the birth of Jesus. 
Last week, we looked at the song of the sea, uh, the song that the people of Israel sang led by Moses and Miriam after God had led them through the Red Sea and rescued them from Egypt. That song's sometimes been likened to the national anthem of ancient Israel, a communal song of victory and praise. Well, today's song is much more personal. Today, we're looking at Hannah's song as she breaks out in praise because of God's loving intervention in her life circumstances. This is the song of a woman who has drowned her pillow in tears, whose life has been flooded with sadness, grief and shame, who's been subject to the ridicule of a rival, who has begged God to grant her heart's desire that she would be able to have a baby. And year after year, that prayer has gone unanswered. Perhaps you yourself know that grief in your own life. You understand through painful personal experience what Hannah felt. It's part of a complex mystery of suffering that plagues our world and our lives. Why is it that this good desire sometimes goes unfulfilled? And why is it that our loving God seems to leave this prayer unanswered? And yet in Hannah's situation, he finally does answer. After years of grief, there is joy as the unanswered prayer is answered and God gives her a son. And so this is a song of joy and salvation. It's a personal song which flows out of Hannah's life circumstances. But it's more than that. It's a song that's meant to teach us how to praise God. And in this song, we learn that we should praise the one true God, praise the God who brings reversals, and praise the God who is the judge. Hannah's song will be echoed later in the Bible by another woman who becomes pregnant. Uh, But this woman's circumstances are quite different. She hasn't wanted or expected to fall pregnant. She's a virgin who is only pledged to be married and not yet wed. Her name is Mary, and she gets stunning news one day when she's visited by an angel. And the themes of Hannah's song are picked up in Mary's song, which we'll look at next week. So as we go through Hannah's song, it's also helpful for us to reflect on what this teaches us about Jesus and to help us to prepare our hearts and reflect as we journey towards Christmas. So firstly, Hannah's song teaches us to praise the one true God. You can feel the emotion as she pours out praise in verse one. My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord, my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. This is a whole person, whole body expression of praise. It's heart, it's strength. Uh, That's what the word horn means. And it flows out of her mouth as she boasts before her enemies. Not in her own greatness, but in delighting in the Lord's deliverance. Now note already how this song is all about God. Uh, The Lord Yahweh is mentioned nine times in 10 verses throughout the song. 
And even when not named explicitly, it's his character and his action that is constantly in focus. In verse 2, Hannah expresses her praise for God as the one and only God. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. God has no rivals. There's no one like him. He's incomparable. He's a rock that is solid ground to stand on. Uh, Hannah has found this in her own life, just like many others have as well. Whatever the circumstances, God is firm ground to plant your feet on. And so Hannah praises God because he is the one true God and he's the only one worthy of praise. That's a good note for us to reflect on as we approach Christmas too. Christmas is our one true hope because God is our one true hope. Uh, Our world is in desperate need. We need deliverance. We need saving. And where will that rescue come from? It can only come from the one true God. And his means for rescuing us is that he himself enters our world in the person of his son, Jesus. The name Jesus means God saves. The one true God takes on human flesh in Jesus the Saviour. The one true God uh, enters our human experience in Jesus the Saviour. The one true God comes to offer the one true hope for humankind. And so with Hannah, let's praise this one true God. Secondly, Hannah's song teaches us to praise the God of reversals. Here's verses four and five. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food, but those who were hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who had many sons pines away. So the powerful are brought down and the weak are raised up. That's been Hannah's personal experience. She's experienced cultural shame through her inability to conceive, but God has shown her honour. She's been mercilessly mocked and ridiculed by her rival, but now she can boast in the Lord in the face of her enemies. She's felt utterly hopeless and powerless, but God's power has been displayed through her weakness. God turns things completely upside down and uses the weak of the world to shame the strong. Now, this runs completely counter to how we often think the world works. Uh, We seek after power and influence. We seek after wealth and comfort. We seek after status and recognition. And when we achieve a measure of any of those things, you know, we pat ourselves on the back. We congratulate ourselves because it's our strength or our intellect or our skill that has done it. But no, Hannah affirms that everything depends upon the Lord and not on us. Verses six to eight. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. 
He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honour. Well, the Lord is the subject of a huge array of actions here. He is the one who does them. He's the one who has power of life and death. He's the one who can accord status. He can pull down and lift up. And the reason for this is that he's the creator and the sustainer of all things. Verse 8 ends, For the foundations of the earth of the Lord's, on them he has set the world. The very foundations of the earth itself have been set by God. That's how in charge he is. He is utterly sovereign and powerful. And so a proper response to God is to reject any sense of false strength and to be humble and dependent on him. So by false strength, I mean trusting in our own abilities and capacities. I mean seeking after wealth and status and power for our own sake. Instead, we need to recognise that God is sovereign, that God is the God of reversals, that God lifts up the weak and humbles the proud. We bow our knee to him and depend on him for all things. If Hannah's song left us in any doubt about God's way of working, then the coming of Jesus into the world should shatter any illusions that remain. See, Christmas is a time of weakness where God shows his mighty strength. The all-powerful son of God comes as a vulnerable baby, is born into human poverty and laid in a manger. In infancy, he's pursued by a powerful tyrant who tries to kill him and his family flees as refugees to Egypt. And the whole trajectory of Jesus' life is God's power being displayed through weakness, right up to the point when Jesus dies, abandoned and alone on the cross, bearing the sins of the whole world before rising triumphant from the grave. God chooses to work through weakness rather than power. God shows that what looks like failure may well be the wisdom of God. God is the God of reversals. And so like Hannah, we should bring our praise to the God of reversals. If there are areas of our lives where we're tempted to trust in our own strength rather than God's power, we need to lay them down at the manger. Where we are tempted to seek after our own financial security rather than in God's provision, we need to lay them down at the manger where we're tempted to find our identity in our status or our achievements rather than being known and loved by God, we need to lay them down at the manger. And on the flip side, if you are struggling with your own brokenness, weakness, insignificance and failing, come and kneel beside the manger. For this vulnerable and weak baby is none other than the all-powerful God. This is the God of reversals, who loves the weak and lifts them up. This is the God who loves you in the midst of your weakness and vulnerability and offers you his strength. Thirdly, 
Hannah's song teaches us to praise God, the judge. We get the first hint of this back in verse 3. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance, for the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. If you have to go to a court of law, the first criteria you are looking for in a judge is someone who understands the facts of the situation, someone with knowledge. This is the challenge, actually, for earthly judges and courts. When you've got two people before you arguing two different sides of a case, how do you know what the truth actually is? But the Lord is a God who knows. He can see through lies and false information. He knows everything even the thoughts and the desires within us. And by him, deeds are weighed. He holds the scales of justice and he will weigh things up fairly. This flows on to the end of Hannah's song, where in verses 9 and 10, she turns our attention to the future. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. See, here is the real problem with false strength and why it is that God brings reversals. It's those who oppose the Lord who are brought down But it is God's faithful servants, those who trust and depend on him, that he'll watch over and guard. This is talking about future hope. And it may not be fully seen in this lifetime. The hoped for reversals may not come for us now. We may need to wait for them. One of the challenges with Hannah's song of joy is that we're experiencing her situation on the other side uh, when God has answered her prayer and brought the desired reversal about. But for you now, that may not be the case. Your prayer seems to remain unanswered and even unheard. You are still drowning your pillow with tears. You are still experiencing shame and mockery and hopelessness. Will God even answer? When will a reversal come? Here is where we need to know and trust that God is a righteous judge, that God is absolutely committed to justice, that he will judge everyone and everything on earth. Sometimes we react negatively to the idea of God as judge. It sounds like an indifferent and cold authority figure ticking off a list of moral requirements. And so the idea of praising God for being a judge seems weird. But in the Bible, the idea of God being the judge is a source of comfort and hope. God as judge means justice for the weak and oppressed. God as judge means putting things right again after they've been broken. God as judge means that evil is finally brought into the light and brought to account. God as judge means that the truth of matters is revealed, lies are exposed and expelled. 
And this judgment is not done by someone who is cold and indifferent. Listen to how the song ends. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Uh, The word here, uh, anointed, is the Hebrew word Messiah, which is also the same as the Greek word Christ. This is the first place in the Bible where king and Messiah are linked together. Israel doesn't yet even have a king. So Hannah is prophesying here about what is coming, that God will anoint a king and put them on the throne. And we see that unfold through the rest of the book of Samuel, where Saul and then David become kings over Israel. And one of the key roles of a good and godly king is to judge fairly on behalf of the people and to bring justice to people. But earthly kings can only do that so well. They, like us, fall into that trap of relying on false strength and not depending on God. They can even become corrupt and use their power for personal gain rather than for the common good. And this happens through the history of Israel. But God's people still hope for a king to come. They're looking for a Messiah, a Christ, an anointed one to come to rule well and judge rightly on God's behalf. And at Christmas time, we celebrate the coming of this king. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 says, This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. Jesus is this Messiah, this king, come to earth as a baby, laid in a manger, come as our saviour, but also come to judge. Here's the wonder and the beauty of the judgment of God. The world will not be judged, and you will not be judged, by any sort of cold indifference. Jesus will be our judge. Jesus, who has lived a human life, who's experienced tears and sorrow, who knows what it is to be mocked and shamed, who knows what it is to be weak and hungry, who knows grief and loss. A judge who has walked in our shoes and lived in our world. Like Hannah, we can praise God who is the judge, but beyond what Hannah could possibly have conceived, we know the name and the character of the judge, Jesus. What's more, with Jesus coming at Christmas, he hasn't come initially to judge us. He's come to save us. This is the window of opportunity for us and for all humankind to turn to Jesus and to receive forgiveness and salvation. Uh, This window is the time between the first and the second coming of Jesus. When Jesus returns, he will come as the judge of the world. As we say in the creed, he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. We can look forward to that judgment and praise God for it because it will mean putting things to right. It will mean overturning evil and bringing justice. But we can only face that judgment with confidence if we have a relationship with Jesus, the judge. He entered our world as a baby at Christmas. 
He lived a human life and went to death on the cross in order to save us and to offer us forgiveness. He did it so that when we do face his judgment, it's not our failings and sins that we're judged against, but it's his perfect life which is given to us as our status in him. Christmas is a great time of hope as we celebrate Jesus' coming. But it's also a challenge to us to respond to Jesus, the Saviour and the Judge, and to share Jesus with our families and our friends. He's their Saviour and he's their Judge too. And they are living in this same window between the first and the second comings of Jesus. Now is the time to respond to him. Now is the time to receive his forgiveness. Now is the time to prepare for his coming to judge the living and the dead. And so we join with Hannah in praise. We praise the one true God. We praise the God of reversals. And we praise the God who is our judge. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek.